Hey, great to be here with you today. I uh, am glad to be here this morning. We're going to keep uh, in this uh, uh, study that uh, we started last week called Conversations with Jesus. And uh, we're, we're working through one right now. Uh, last week, uh, I started one in John chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for a while. Uh, one of the fascinating features, and we're going to go to some other Gospels, obviously, but one of the fascinating features of the Gospel of John over the years, for me at least, that uh, has fascinated me is the kind of interviews or the, the, the uh, one-on-one kind of discussions. And if you weren't here last week, uh, you can listen to it online, uh, sort of the context of all of these conversations that we're uh, looking at and how that might help fill in a couple of blanks for you. But we're in John chapter 1 still and this uh, fascinating uh, conversation with Nathaniel. Uh, I was talking to Dick Greenley last week, and Dick said, well, you're finished because I was kind of running through. He said, there's still a lot of meat left on that bone there you can pick off. So I, uh, I really did. I want to look at this again, and it begins uh, here, if you will, in John uh, chapter 1 at verse 43, and we'll pick it up. Uh, the reason I say that is because the more you study these conversations, at least I have, the more uh, layers there are, the more... Uh, truths that I see. Again, I'm not reading between the lines. I'm not making stuff up. But there seem to be more layers and more notions here uh, that need some attention. And I was thinking about that. I thought, you know, some of these statements that Nathaniel made, and we'll look at them here in a moment, um, that seem to be more important or, or full of meaning, if you will. It makes me think of a good friend of mine, Dave Fatkin, who part of this Sunday school class, and they teach the uh, the uh, what we call America's Heathen uh, Middle School, and uh, if, you, if you don't believe that, you go try it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, toughest group. Uh, anyway, Dave and I, we have some sayings that on the surface seem kind of simple, uh, but they're rather complex. Uh, Dave and I, we can be somewhere together, and we can see a sign, and the sign says this, now serving lunch. You ever, seen, you ever seen a restaurant have something like that? Or now serving breakfast or now serving dinner? When we see that sign, Dave and I just look at each other and go, uh-uh, I'm not going there. And we say, you know, is it because they're serving lunch now because they couldn't make it on what they're doing? <laughs> you, ever, you ever wonder about that? I hope there are no restaurateurs in here just put that sign up this week. <laughs> right? Uh, when, when we see that, there's a complex set of ideas that go through Dave and my mind. We'll say this, is it because they couldn't make it on what they're doing now and they're having to bring another meal in uh, to try to make a living? Or did they hire too many people? They got too uh, uh, optimistic about the fact that they thought this restaurant was going to really be great and now they got too many people and not enough customers. Dave and I, we, I, I was in Alaska uh, uh, some years ago and walked by a restaurant and it said, now serving breakfast. I took a picture and sent it to him. And I said, you know what this means, don't you? Now, you know what? You might just see that. You say, well, that just means they're serving. For, for Dave and I, it's a complex situation. We have all kinds of thoughts that go through our minds, which if you knew Dave and I, you'd wonder if we had a mind. Anyway, uh, as Jesus is uh, uh, talking with Nathaniel and as Nathaniel is speaking with him, to me, uh, there are some statements made here that maybe are a, a little more uh, necessary uh, in fullness to understand. And so I want to look here when uh, Jesus and Nathaniel meet, after Nathaniel makes that famous statement, can anything good come from Nazareth? And again, if you want to listen last week, what we talked about, the, the way that people viewed Galilee was pretty low. And there was never any concept 
that people from Galilee or from Nazareth would ever amount to anything. And he makes that famous statement, can anything come? And then when Jesus sees him, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. And in that conversation, we talked last week how that Jesus seems to really honor honesty. Here's a guy that isn't gullible. This, this guy's not naive. He's made the statement, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus honors him when he sees him. And then Nathanael said to him, or Jesus said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed. And Nathanael there in verse 48 said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Behold, Philip, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, commented last week, I just want to touch that, that, that the idea there is generally fig trees in the ancient world were large and they blossomed out. And they were often places where people went to pray and meditate or study the law. And so it wasn't just necessarily that you jumped under a fig tree, but they often have the the, the meaning or the idea that someone was taking time out of the hot sun in Israel, uh, where I've been, a, I've mentioned that. Anyway, I, my students made up a mim, you know what called a mim? You know, the guy that I don't often do this, but I, they, they made a mim of me the other day and put it on Facebook, said, I don't often go to Israel, but when I do, I never stop talking about it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> I said, send that to me, will you? When we were in Israel, we saw big fig trees, and we, you know, they, they cover. And listen, as you know, Israel is hot; it's a hot place, and there's lots of sun and lots of rock. And so, some commentators suggested that Philip was a reflective, kind of meditative guy. That when Jesus said, "I saw you under the fig tree," now it's pretty obvious that this isn't just some physical sight that Jesus had, but some sort of sort of supernatural understanding that he had that Philip may have been this meditative person who is in fact praying and and seeking God. When Jesus said to that that to him, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me, Jesus said. Nathanael answered and said to him, here's what I want to dig in today. Nathanael said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, you might say, how did this guy come to this so quickly? And even Jesus seems to be a bit shocked when he says in verse 50, because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You know, in other words, is that that all it takes for me to know about you, that you were under this fig tree perhaps, being reflective and praying and knowing what your concerns were? Is that all it's going to take? Look what Jesus said. You will see greater things than these, Nathaniel. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, I want to look at this under a couple of ideas, this conversation, that what we see in this conversation is the following. Number one, the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. Nathaniel makes some statements about him that are fairly remarkable. They're true. Uh, And yet, uh, what he says about him, I think, is a little more complex and requires a little little more attention. The first thing that that Nathaniel calls him is rabbi or teacher. And I'm going to put some uh, labels on here. They're not on your outline, but you could write out to the side here just this phrase, teach me, teach me. Uh, Philip, or Nathaniel, says to him, rabbi, which is a fairly common term here, some... uh, uh, People translate it's 
Rabboni or Rabbi, uh, which often is translated uh, teacher. Uh, it literally means uh, my great one, Rabboni. Uh, in Hebrew, ni at the end is I, and so are my. So it is, you are, you are, you are my great one. You're my teacher. And it was fairly uh, common uh, in those days uh, for rabbis uh, to be about and teaching and have people that follow them. It's, it's fascinating to hear for, for, for Nathaniel in that moment to recognize Jesus as a great teacher or the great one around him. Now, there were many of that. And, you know, again, we were in Israel. They re- there really are. This was something I did not know, that the state of Israel pays certain people to be rabbis. They just pay them. And they're all over the place. I mean, really, I mean, they got the black hats and the, you know, the dark black coat. And the one thing I thought when I was in Israel, as hot as it was, I thought, who thought wearing all black was a great idea? I don't know. I just, just occurred to me. You know, I didn't say that to them, you know. Um, uh, but you, you see them all over. I mean, they are paid to have students. And when we looked into it, I mean, there's not a, you know, you don't have to have so many. They, they just, and so the state of Israel pays these guys uh, to be, and they're women, that are rabbis that have people that they just uh, uh, take time to teach. We, we saw this one guy, kept seeing him over and over again. And he was one of them. And I saw him in the Jewish quadrant of, Israel, uh, of Jerusalem. And he's just sitting there like this, just staring. And then a few days later, we went to the place where the upper room was, and he's just sitting there staring. And I said to Dan, does this guy have any people he's teaching? <laughs> or does he just kind of sit around and stare? You know, uh, they're, they're everywhere, and they're all over the place. And rabbis in Jesus' day were very common. And authors will tell you that a rabbi, as a teacher, was someone that a person would say, I want to learn from you. Would you teach me the law? What's kind of interesting is that when people would spend time with rabbis, they would spend large amounts of time. Large amounts of time. The point Nathaniel's making with Jesus here is that Jesus has some knowledge or understanding that he wants to know. There's a fascinating statement in the Mishnah, which is the Hebrew uh, writing of the... uh, Old Testament oral law. There's the written law and the oral law and and all those kind of things. And there's this statement that would say that you should be a student, that you follow your rabbi so close that the dust of your rabbi powders you. Think about that. That that you are so close and you spend so much time with your rabbi that the dust that he kicks up, the dust of the rabbi would powder you as you walk along. Now, that's, that's spending pretty close time with him. It's in the Mishnah, this idea of, the, of, of being involved. So, so when, 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 when Nathaniel says that word, he's saying, in essence, you're my teacher. You're my great one. You're the one that I want to stay close to. You're the, you're the one that I want to learn from. You're the one that I want to spend amounts of time to learn what is God's will or God's understanding for my life. It's just interesting. Uh, you know, we have teachers. You know, I, I follow guys. I follow blogs. A guy named Roger Olson. I follow his blog. And, and there are other teachers like that. But, you know, there's rarely that kind of relationship where a teacher and students are so close that they spend large amounts of time. As a teacher, I can tell you this, that's one of the frustrations I feel. You know, I, I uh, over the years, have led a Bible study on Tuesday night 
at 9 p.m. I tell those guys, could we just meet earlier? You know, I, but, but I want to spend some time with those young men and say to them, we'll, we'll, we'll gather around together and we'll spend about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. and we'll, You can ask any question you want to. I, I'll, I'll try to feel If I can't answer it, I'll make something up. Or, no, <laughs> not really. I'll try to find it. You know, if I can't answer it, I'll, I'll try to find it. But, but for us to spend time together sort of in an unstructured classroom, for us to do that, and it's been the delight of my life. Uh, last semester, I did finally tell them, we're meeting at 6.30 in the morning. It thinned the herd. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of guys that came, and it was wonderful. And we had a great time, but the, the herd got thinned very quickly. But spending time, Jesus here with Nathaniel is saying, you know, you're my great one. You're, you're my teacher. You're the one that I want to learn from. It makes me ask the question in my life, and maybe you, is this idea, is Jesus your rabbi? Is he the one <clears throat> that teaches you? Is he the one that you look to for guidance, for understanding, for direction? Is Jesus the one? Now, I, I want to be careful here because I, I, I understand that we need other teachers and we need other people, and I'm filling part of that function right now. But, but I'm suggesting is that in all of our learning, in all of our teaching, in all of our understanding, that it would cause us to get Jesus' dust on us, that we would sense in some way that as we learn and understand from any teacher or preacher or leader, that we're getting close to the dust of Jesus, that we're sensing something about His life with ours. How do we do that? Well, I, there are two ways I think we can accomplish this, if you will, where we can call Jesus rabbi. And I just put up beside there, teach me. I think one of the things we're doing right here, and we do others, is get with other people who are following Jesus. Get with other people who are following. Now, you're doing some of that, and you know that's the great thing about this class. We've had a few people today change tables, and we're a little disturbed up here in the front, but we'll get over. But I, you know, I notice a lot of you sit together often, right? I mean, you like each other sometimes, <laughs> right? I notice that. You know, somebody said to me one time, let's just, let's just put chairs in here. And, and row after row after I said, no. I, I don't want people having the kind of fellowship where you just look at the back of somebody's neck. You know? But those tables, the, the opportunity. I mean, I've watched you guys, and, and I watched some of you pretty close. But, you know, we've been told. We've been told. Uh, but, but the idea of, of getting with other people, and it's fine. I think it's great. You sit with some of the same friends you sit with some of the same people. You're, you're talking about following Jesus together. You're, you're, you're asking how uh, can we pray for each other during the week. I think it's critical that we understand that we live this life of following Jesus as our rabbi. We're, we're following close to Him, but we're following close to Him with others. Uh, on the 30th, I guess that's two weeks from today, we're going to share uh, the National Prayer Breakfast. We couldn't get everybody back in town in time uh, to do this uh, but, you know, that's been a powerful thing in my life, uh, to go to the National Prayer Breakfast and to meet the people I've met from California, from the Sudan, uh, from, uh, from all over the world, uh, to meet people. I wrote in my journal uh, when, when I got back. I said, you know, uh, when, and I'm quoting, I mean, I'm from memory here, so I didn't write that. But I wrote in my journal, said, you know, when I go to, to Washington, it's fascinating to me that when I'm around these people, who are just trying to learn to follow Jesus. How, um, 
if you will, motivated I am. How motivated. Of course, I mean, I'm not working. I'm not grading papers. I'm not having to deal with real life. And, you know, we're, ju- we're, we're just, you know, having a great time. But how motivated when I'm around those guys. I, I'm going to take a little of this away from Dan and them. But, you know, we met a guy. We'll talk about him. Uh, went to dinner with him. And he is, uh, he's won two Grammy Awards. No, wait a minute. Oscars. Which movies? Oscars. Okay, I'm right. Yeah. I'm so culturally sensitized. You know? <laughs> if it isn't rock and roll, I don't know anything about it. Okay. <laughs> if it isn't about Pete Townsend, who, who cares? Uh, anyway, uh, this fella had won two uh, Oscars for animation. One for Men in Black and the other one for Pirates in the Caribbean 2. And he's at our table. We're just sharing. And he's talking about how he is uh, starting a company there. And uh, they're going to get mad. But you know what? This is my class. Not anyway. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but this, so so, so uh, he's starting a company because a bunch of the animators are animations being outsourced overseas. And so he's starting another company, and it's been tough. And he's got about 100 animators at his business. And he said, you know, what I'm just trying to do, Cliff, is I'm just trying to disciple them. And when we got through with dinner, I thought, hey, you need to explain. I don't know what you mean by that. I don't understand that. This sounds a little heavy-handed to me. Get a bunch of animators out of Hollywood, and you're going to disciple them. You know what I mean? And I just said to him, I said, you know, John, help me understand what you're talking about here. He said, what I mean by that is this. I'm going to live my life in such a way that they can know that I'm following Jesus and they can see it. I said, oh, well, you mean discipling different than I do, right? It's a book and an assignment and a pen and bring your homework. He's saying, Cliff, I'm trying to follow Jesus in this area of Hollywood, of, of movie making, and I just want people to see us following him and they might be interested in following Jesus. Wow, I thought, man, that is... I'm telling you, I just get so amped up. I also met, we'll talk about, we met the guy uh, who in 1991 helped overthrow the government of Ethiopia. We kept our eye on him the whole time. <laughs> yeah. We did. Be, we had dinner with him. He helped overthrow. He's an ex-communist atheist. And what do you hear his story? About following Jesus. And now living, serving Jesus all around the world. I mean, this, this guy was part of the army that overthrew the Ethiopian government in 1991 in Addis Ababa. I'm sitting there with him. I'm thinking, I want to learn to follow Jesus, like not throw overthrow the government, you know, uh, follow, follow Jesus. I mean, this guy is the real deal. You know, I mean, he, it's incredible how he came from atheism and communism to a follower of Jesus. You'll hear his story. This idea, though, that, that one of the ways that we get close to Jesus, one of the ways that we follow Him is as we're following with others. And for me, it's been incredible. I, you know, I've told you here, there's, some of you folks in here have been part of that for me. That as you follow Jesus, I can sense the dust of Him on you. There are a lot of you guys in here. I, I tell people, no kidding, I, all around the country when I go, I say, I have the greatest Sunday school class in the world. There, it's just filled with people. Some of you, not all of you, okay, yeah. We're still a few. People who've got the dust of Jesus on them as they're following Him. And I get around and I think, 
man, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not feigning humility here at all. I, yeah, I get around him and think, man, these people are following Jesus close. They're working in prison ministries. They're drilling water wells. They're going to Africa. They're going to, to Roatan. They're, you know, all of these kind of things. People that are serving Jesus in this city and whiz kids. And, and you know, just um, I can't count them all. How do, how do you get around that? Get around his people. Second way you can do it, I think, is this. Study the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something this year or for the next few months. I'm doing it for a year. You don't have to. Uh, the, the National Prayer Book, we'll come back to this in two weeks, more detail. Act like you haven't heard this, okay? Right. Just, wow! <laughs> uh, I hope they don't listen to this recording. Um, but one of the things that I realized in my life, and I love to teach the Bible, and I'm, uh, I, I'm wired, if you will, in my mind and in my training to study the epistles. You know, Romans, 1st Corinthians. I love that. It's all very logical, analytical. And Karma Deer said something some years ago at the prayer breakfast that, that shocked me when he said, some guys asked him, at a at a at a, um, a Muslim uh, temple some years ago, they just said, "You can come and talk, but we just want you to talk about Jesus." Come on, the Imam invited him. Said, "We know about you. We've heard about you. Just come talk about Jesus or Isa. Come talk about Isa." Carl said, uh, "He spoke. He started talking about Jesus. Now he'd been a missionary and trained theologically, and he said." that as he began to talk, and he got through about 30 minutes, he said, the imam and he, uh, some of those sheiks that were with him, Carl's a nut, he said, there was this sheik here, and some junior guys, he said, I guess they were the sheiklets. Or something. <laughs> He's just crazy. You know, the sheik, and it, it, I, I, I just, I'm sorry, I just get that out of my brain. Uh, it would hurt me if I left that in there. That... After Carl talks for 30 minutes, the imam and the sheiks do this, the international sign for what? Huh? No. Keep going. Y'all not know this international sign? This is stop. Yeah. This, 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 is, this is Becky's international sign. Stop. Yeah. I get that every once in a while, just... Yeah. No, this. Keep going. And you know what Carl said? He said, I'd been a missionary for 15 years. I'd been in the Middle East trying to win people to Jesus and realized I didn't know anything else to talk about. I think I've kind of had that. I can talk about Paul and justification by faith or the doctrine of the Trinity, which is all good stuff, or substitutionary theory on the atonement. Or the end times. But how much can I talk about Jesus? How much of my vocabulary, how much of my understanding is Jesus-centered? So here's what I'm doing. You don't have to do this, but for a year, I am not reading anything but the Gospels. Started in November, and I'm going to keep going. I am going to drench myself in Jesus. I'm going to drench myself in His teachings and what He said. 
You know, it's kind of like we, we've got a Christmas tree at our house. I mean, it's in the attic now, but um, with this Christmas tree. And Becky does a wonderful job of decorating while I watch. I'm not very good at that. One of the things that I love about the way Becky decorates our Christmas tree is that when she gets through, I can still see the tree. You ever seen a Christmas tree that's got so much stuff on it? You know there's a tree under there, but where is it? And it's because, you know, your grandma gave you this and you got to put it on there. And your kids made this and it's got to go. It doesn't matter how gaudy and ugly it is. And, you know, and then you got this other thing that's fallen apart and this angel, you know, that looks like they've been through a dust buster uh, at least three times. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you can't see the tree anymore. You know, that sort of happened to me. I knew about justification by faith. I knew about Paul's teaching on the second coming, I, I knew about substitutionary theory atonement. I knew about the Trinity. What began to get kind of pushed out of my vocabulary, my discussion, was Jesus. Jesus. What did He say about this? What, what did He re- re- relate about this? And I found myself that my, my Bible, if you saw it, that the pages in the epistles are all worn out, and the pages in the Gospels, eh, sort of. Has that ever happened to you? I think it happens when we get religious. We get in the church and we want to discuss. There's nothing wrong with these ideas. But I want to ask you this. Would you be willing, three months, two months, I don't, one, I don't know, that you don't read anything but the Gospels? Nothing. You let your mind and your heart get saturated so the dust of that rabbi begins to powder you. Now all of a sudden, it's talking about the Lord... Nothing wrong with that word. Or talking about God. Nothing wrong with that word. Nothing wrong about serving God. But how about let's talk about Jesus. I discovered several years ago that was not my vocabulary. Jesus was not who I was talking about. It was God. He is God. Okay, you understand that. What I'm talking about is get our attention on that rabbi. So here, here's, here's the, the key idea. Jesus is the one whom I submit my mind in learning. I look to Him for truth. I will do this by only reading and studying the Gospels personally and corporately for the next six months. Now, you don't have to do that, but I recommend it. And for the next six months, you say, you know what? When I get with people, I'm going to talk about Jesus. When I read, I'm going to study with them about Jesus. Something here, if you will. So this first point here, I don't have it on the side there, but if you put it right out there, the person of Jesus, rabbi, teacher, put just teach me. Teach me. The second thing here we have, I think, this Mac is the Son of God. And the idea there is revealer. So put up beside that, if you will, just one called show me. First one is teach me. The second one is show me. Uh, notice what Nathaniel says. He or, uh, yeah, it says here. He said, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God." Now, this is a packed term, and I'm on. How many of y'all seen the new movie Son of God? Yeah, several. I had lunch with somebody last week, and they said, "I got to hurry. Got to go to the movie." And I thought, when I was a kid, if you have any background in the Church of God, I remember the denomination I grew up. That was called a sin. Yeah. Now it's just fun. <laughs> We just, you know, we don't, we just rent them and bring them home. Um, 
But, but that new movie, and you know, you can read different accounts of it. I, I've read a couple of them, you know, talk about the accuracy of it. And then uh, some of them talk about, you know, the cinematography. Some people say it's great. Other people saying, eh, it's a little cheesy. Some people are still arguing about this. I, I read a review that they said, let's, w- one of these days, let's just, could we have a Jewish Jesus? <laughs> you know, he looks sort of European and kind of milk toast, kind of. You know, kind of mystical. Listen, this was a guy that the book of Isaiah said, upon his visage or the way he looked, he was not one to look upon. It means he wasn't very handsome. No one wanted to look upon him. He got lost in crowds. That guy in the movie could not get lost in a crowd in Jerusalem. Okay? I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. And, and, and I'm not here to make some, uh, you know, thing. But, but this idea of son of God. Son of God. You know, this term that Nathaniel uses is a term that at the very least is controversial and at the worst gets you killed. you, You probably know this, but let me just refresh your memory. There was one person in the Roman Empire named Lord, and his name was Caesar. And you didn't call anybody else Lord because He was the ruler. And your life and death hung in the balance that people were required once a year to burn incense to Caesar, everyone, and say these words, Caesar is Lord. Now, a lot of followers of Jesus wouldn't do it. And I can imagine, you know, to think, come on, just say it. You don't mean it. Let's go on. No, no. There's one person named The other thing is, this interesting, that son of God was a word that had a long history, if you will, with the Roman Caesars. In fact, uh, I'll just read this here. In Latin, uh, which I know very little of, mostly pig Latin, but I know some that. In Latin, the word for God is deus, D-E-U-S. And in... Latin, uh, the, the emperors were considered divine, and it was called divus, D-I-V-U-S. So emperors in Latin were understood, they're not the gods, but they are divine. They're divine. In, in fact, uh, I, I notice in here, uh, on, on the, when Jesus was asked one time in Matthew 22, he said, uh, the, the, the Pharisees tried to catch him and say, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, who's image and inscription is on this. And on that coin, it was the picture of Tiberius Caesar. On the front of that coin, it said this, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Augustus was considered a god. And on the reverse side of that coin, it said, greatest priest. You can understand why the Jews were a little bent out of shape about that coinage being at their place. Because here is Tiberius Caesar, the son of the divine Augustus, the great priest. It was common in those days to understand that Caesar was the son of God or the son of the gods. So this is not an unusual phrase. It has a long history. In fact, early on, Caesar Augustus, during his reign, right after uh, the first uh, uh, Caesar had died, Halley's Comet passed over Rome. don't know if you knew that or not. Probably weren't there. But Augustus took the opportunity 
to say that when that comet went over Rome, it was the spirit of Julius Caesar entering heaven. And if Caesar, Julius Caesar, was a god, then his heir, Augustus, was the son of God. The son of God. Can you imagine when Nathaniel said this with this background and then understanding this idea that Jesus, you are the Son of God. Now, on one hand, it's political nightmare for the Jews to call anyone or for anyone to call anyone besides Caesar, Son of God. It's just a nightmare of what could happen. On the other side of this, and I just want to walk you through this quickly... These are monotheistic Jews. They, they believe in one God. You know, the three great religions, monotheist, you know, are uh, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. They're, they're the great three uh, religions of monotheism. And so whenever anyone says this, this is why the, the, the idea of Jesus as Son of God caused so much trouble. In Judaism, the, the notion of divine sonship however, was used. Whenever the nation of Israel was at times called Israel, my son. Remember that? In the Old Testament. Israel was called the son of God. In the Old Testament, the the king at times was called the son of God. Now, what does that mean? And I'm just going to refer you here, if you enter that, Alistair McGrath, that in the New Testament, this understanding in the Old Testament that the idea of Son of God meant relationship. Son of God meant relationship. Belonging to God is the way some would translate it. That you are one who belongs to God. And it's interesting that in the Gospel of John, where we are, that Son of God is only used of Jesus. Children of God are used of us, not sons. He is. Uh, Stanton. You mean with the Romans? Yeah. Oh, well, I'd say it this way. They acted like it was real. They killed people over it. Yeah. They, they, they were, and, and Rome was very superstitious. Hundreds of gods, hundreds of people like that. Zeus, you know, uh, Mercury and Zeus and, you know, Mercury Morris and other, you know. Yeah. Some of y'all got that. Uh, but yeah, they're very, they're very superstitious. Very, and, and, and believe the gods had placed them there. In fact, Romulus and Remus are considered gods, the, the two wolves that started the whole thing. Yeah, they, they take it real, real serious. Now, I, I want to work on that because you, you know, and I don't have time for all of this, but the idea, and you know, as I reflect on this, we're working on this, I, I, this is a big idea. Jesus, Son of God, what is it? He reveals to us who God is. The Son of God in Scripture tells us who God is because He is God in the flesh. Now, I, you know, we, we, we accept that real easily, don't we? Do you know it took the church 300 years to get this ironed out? Did you know that? The Council of Nicaea in northern Turkey, 325 A.D., the first ecumenical council in the history of the church. There was so much discussion. Who is Jesus? 
On the one hand, you had the Jewish Ebionites that said he's a wonderful guy. He was adopted, if you will, at his baptism. When the scripture says, God said, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was just adopted. He was a great guy, but he was just a human being. Wonderful as he was, which has great problems with the atonement. On the other side are the docetics who said he just appeared to be a man. He really was just a spirit. He never really died. That wasn't him really on the cross. He just appeared to be that way. Folks, it took 300 years to work this out. This is a very difficult thing, but the scriptures are what they referred to. In fact, I want you to look at this in John. Go to chapter 8 real quick. John chapter 8. Years ago when I took Greek, this is one of the first things I ever saw because we always studied the gospel of John first. The Greek is, is, is pretty easy. Um, when Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, talking to the religious leaders about Abraham like that, Jesus said, in ver- and I, you go back and read all the, the uh, uh, verses there, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now think about this. He's talking to these monotheistic Jews. Your father Abraham saw my day. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, And have have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. In Greek, that phrase, ego eimi, I am, is in the Septuagint the way the word Yahweh is translated. Jesus is taking the word Yahweh that, Jesus, that God said to Moses, you tell them my name is what? I am. I am sent you. Jesus here in John 8 makes the most dramatic statement in the history of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. And of course those Jews said, well that's interesting. No, look what they did. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him and Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This guy is saying, who am I? I'm God in the flesh. If you want to read the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated in Greek, the way you get to Yahweh is this, ego eimi, I am. Jesus declares this. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus makes this other statement. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Now, you know, people have trouble with that. One of the, one of the difficulties for uh, adherents of Islam to accept Christianity is we haven't done a good job explaining the Trinity. Islam believes God is one mathematically, one as opposed to two. They have not, we've, and you know, it's not easy, but we haven't done a good job explaining the Trinity. And one of the tenets of Islam is that God has no son. God has no son. God is one. There's only one. God has no son. But Jesus here says, I and the Father are one. Now, Let's think about how this word one is used in the Bible. Not what we think about it. When I say I have one car, that's opposed to two. Or I have one lawnmower, or Becky has one, it is opposed to two. You know? Think about this. And Jeremy and and Shay, I I even think I said this in your wedding. In the scriptures, in Genesis says, And a man shall leave his mother and father, 
and the two shall become one. When Jeremy and Shay got married, they didn't dissolve into one body. They didn't just become one person as we understand it. They are one in their heart and mind and essence. That's the goal. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Not mathematically. I'm the second person of the Trinity. But we are one and I am God in the flesh. Other places throughout the Scripture. Listen, this is the... I, we've been Christians too long. <laughs> we just, oh yeah, Jesus, Son of God. Do you have any idea what this would have meant politically? Probably your death. Do you have any idea what it meant theologically? That we're, we've been trained to be monotheists. We believe God is one. Shema Israel, Adonai, Echad, Adonai. You know, here our Lord, that's the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They prayed it every morning. They prayed it every morning. These guys, they didn't say, hey, that's a great idea. There are three gods. <laughs> These guys are strict monotheists. But Jesus lived in such a way that even a Roman soldier at the cross in Mark 14, 16 said, Surely this was the Son of God. Even a Roman soldier could get this. We've been Christians too long. It's, we just rolls off our tongue. But it's not that simple. Jesus reveals God in human nature. Let me give you a statement. I'll give you an application here real quick. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher in Britain, made this statement. I committed to memory. I, still, I forgot the page number, but he said this. This Son of God, Jesus came to reveal who God is. Not what we think about Him, who He is. That's why I'm saying, first of all, teach me. Second of all, revealer, show me. Show me. Who is this God? Not my imagination, not, not what I've heard in church, but, but who is He? Really. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement. Listen to me now. This is radical, okay? Stick with me, though. David Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, We will reject any view of God that is inconsistent with the person of Jesus of Nazareth, no matter what. We will reject any view of God that is inconsistent with the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's why I'm saying that first point. I think we got to go back and spend some time with Jesus. Because I think I have, maybe you have, I know others, have views of God that are absolutely inconsistent with the person of Jesus. So here's, how about it? How about this? Man, this is going slower than I thought. <laughs> Will you allow Jesus to be the final word on God's nature? Pick one idea you have about God this week and run it through the person of the Son of God. That might be a fascinating project for you. What does Jesus think about this? What does Jesus think about that? What, what, what My view of life and reality, can it go through the grid of Jesus? Not just my theology, not just my understanding of Scripture or church history, but the person of Jesus. He's the revealer. So teach me, show me, 
And one final verse I'd give you here. Go, go back and read it a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, where it says, In many and various ways God spoke to us through the fathers of the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us through a son who is the exact representation of the nature of God. You've got to keep going back to Jesus. You have to keep, and I do. Then the last one here is this, on this section. Notice what he says. He calls him the king of Israel. So teach me, show me, on this one, put out by the side, lead me. Lead me. It's interesting. Jesus comes to this world to offer a kingdom. If you read the Gospels, the word on Jesus' lips all the time are the kingdom of heaven. His parables are, the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. I've got a friend that says this, and, you know, I, and I know it gets a little radical, but he said he doesn't even know if Jesus was a Christian. I know that sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because of all the things that are associated with being a Christian. I mean, there are lots of things associated with being a Christian that almost have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Jesus came to say, I've come to the rule of God. When I translate that, that's why Basileia, it's very simple just to say, the rule of God. How many times do we think when we say to people, would you like to accept Jesus in your heart? You know what I say? Accept Him as what? Accept Him as what? Accept Him as King? King? Accept Him as Lord and ruler who, because of who He is, can forgive my sins. But I, just, my, just my view, I could be wrong. In American evangelicalism, we have driven the thing so hard to the right in terms, and maybe other ways, it, the, the idea that it's all just about forgiveness. And so we have a people who just think the only thing is about Jesus forgiving me. Marty said it powerfully a few months ago. I haven't forgotten this. When he said, you know what? We want to give Jesus our sins, but not our life. That's, that's not his program. He's the king of Israel. He, that's, that's what Nathaniel says. You're the king of Israel. How, how can we understand that this great and good king... Think about, think about, the, think about Israel. Think about all the rotten rulers they'd had, all the terrible emperors they'd had, all the experience of being ruled by people. And Jesus said, there's a new king. He's me. I've come to offer you this kingdom. I'll lay my life down for you. I wonder if we ever think, you know, this is not about being just a Christian. That's okay. It's about being in a kingdom with a king. That we invite people to say, will you... Except, will you come into this rule of God where He will guide and direct and give you guidance for your life? I don't, I don't hear that much. I, I don't hear that much on television. I hear that much to say, listen, this is about a king and a kingdom that He offers to us. E. Stanley Jones makes some great statements about this, finally to say that Jesus offers us a way to get ourselves off of our hands. How would you like to get yourself off your own hands? <laughs> I, would, I would, not you, me. <laughs> I, I would love to get myself off of my own hands to say, somebody else can do this much better than I can. To, to have the privilege of getting myself off my own hands 
and lying Jesus. So here's the question, and we'll come back keep working on this. How can you live out your being in Jesus' kingdom this week? How could you do that? Not just believe, not just accept Him. And by the way, you know, it's funny that those ideas about accepting Jesus and like that, those aren't very often in the New Testament. They're not. It's not about accepting Jesus. It's about allowing Him to be our King in our relationships, in our lives. That's what He offers. And it allows you to get yourself off your own hands. Well, this is going slower than I thought. <laughs> what else is new, huh? Listen, what, what, these three titles here, teach me, show me, lead me. In my judgment, my life, your life, the people I know, our lives would be demonstrably better if we lived those three statements. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege to be with these people to join together in learning and understanding about you. This incredible conversation that Nathaniel had with you, these words that literally come off the page when we understand their context. Would you help us this week to be people that we allow you to teach us, to show us, and to lead us? And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, see you.